trusting in the power of the cross. Made me think of Galatians 6.14 where the Apostle Paul says, May I never boast except in the cross of Christ for which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Man, it's like every day, Lord, just remind me of that. That great message that means it all across. So anyway, we are continuing a series on seeing God clearly. And uh, there's a lot of people who do not see God clearly, have some misconceptions about who God is. And we're actually going to look at a passage here in the book of Exodus, which I believe is probably the foundational passage among in the Old Testament used by prophets and uh, other powerful believers in the Old Covenant in regard to who God is. And so turn with me to Exodus chapter 34. Moses is on the mountain about to receive two stone tablets. And we're, we're going to pick this up, though, in verse 5 of Exodus 34 and go down through verse 9. So if you'll stand in our great God's honor, I want to read from our text in Exodus 34. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin, Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed down to the ground at once and worshipped. O oh Lord, if I have found favor in your eyes, he said, then let the Lord go with us, although this is a stiff-necked people. Forgive our wickedness and our sin. And take us as your inheritance. Let's pray. God, I often feel like a stiff-necked person. Um, thank you, Lord. For the cross. God, this morning as we want to see you clearly. We thank you for a chance to do that in worship. And we just ask that you show us who you are, Lord. We want to meet you. And this is a wonderful introduction to who you are. You wanted uh, Moses to hear who you are. And you want us to hear who you are today. So speak. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, there, there are some misconceptions out there about who God is. And, and when people hear God, they see different pictures. Uh, there are those who they think of God as Father. You know, He's our Heavenly Father. And they didn't have a great experience with their Father. Matter of fact, it was tough because. Maybe they had an abusive father. 
A father who was broken and, and didn't know how to relate to his child and was still living in that brokenness. And, you know, the old saying, hurting people hurt people. It made me think of a, one of my favorite movies. It's terrible. I went back and looked at it. forgot how bad the language was in it. But anyway, Forrest Gump. And Forrest is going over to see his best friend, Jenny, their little kids. He gets ready to knock on the door. Jenny's not there. He steps outside, looks at the cornfield. Jenny's motioning to him. They run off in the cornfield. Her dad comes out. He's angry. He's looking for Jenny. Jenny has Forrest by the hand in the middle of the cornfield. Pray with me, Forrest. As they drop to their knees and... She says, dear God, make me a bird so I can fly far, far away from home. And there are people that they're kind of scared of God. They're saying, if, if, he's a, if he's a father, and I know the experience I had with my father, I don't know if I want to know God. And then there are those who picture God as a powerful king who honors loyal subjects. So as a loyal subject, you come to his house and you be a good subject. You follow the rules. You do all the church stuff and make sure that you keep the rules as good as possible. The better you keep the rules, the more likely the powerful king will hear your pleas and listen to your prayers. And so there are those who, as Peter Marshall used to say, Try so hard to be goody-goody that they miss the goodness of God. And then there are those who don't even see God as personal. Kind of like the Star Wars movies. Remember they had the force? Luke, fill the force, you know. You just open yourself up. And, you know, there's the dark side of the force. And there's the light side of the force. And, the two are in battle, and, and you, whoever you open yourself up to, the dark side, the light side, and that's going to be the influence that you have, and that's the direction that your life will go. And I find that so tragic to not see God as a personal God. To, to not see God as one who created us and cares for us and wants to be a part of our lives. There are many perceptions, many pictures when the word God is used. But what do the Scriptures say? What does His direct revelation say regarding who He is? Well, in this passage, God introduces Himself to Moses. And He speaks about Himself in this passage. You know, there's no better way to meet somebody than to meet them firsthand. You can read about them, you know, maybe hear songs about them, stories about them, but there's nothing like firsthand being with them. Um, you know, I, I remember back in school, I was sitting with a friend in the room and we were looking through the yearbook. He's going through there, he's looking at pictures, and suddenly I see this young lady. I thought, as my dad would say, baboon. Whoa. So, and then he said, I went to school with her in Florida. And she is wonderful. Man, it's like, what a salesman. I'm thinking, wow, I want to meet her. So, 
I have no game for the ladies, you know, nothing. So I'm really scared to death. I'm thinking, i got to call her. I managed to get her number. I, I call her up. I'm scared to death. I ask her out, and the miracle of all miracles, she said, yes. And so we meet for a date. Uh, Cindy tells me later, I thought it was Gomer Pyle on the phone. I was not impressed. I didn't know I sounded that country, man. But anyway, um, we went out on a date to the Black Eyed Pea. People think when I tell this story, I'm talking about a Black Eyed Pea concert, and I'm not. That was a restaurant in Texas called the Black Eyed Pea. And, uh, man, I ended up staying until very late at night. And we just talked. It was like a conversation. I don't think either of us wanted to end. And obviously, I guess we didn't since we've been married now 34 years and <laughs> been together. But man, you know, it was one thing to look at her picture and think, well, she's cute. But then when I was able to spend time with her and to talk with her and to get a picture of who she actually is, it made all the difference. And we have a situation here where God invites Moses to be directly with him, to learn directly from him who he is. And, and it's interesting here, uh, verse 5, it, it tells us, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Look, we can, we can try to figure out who God is. and People come up with these different ideas. And, and I mentioned you know, three different scenarios. But the truth of the matter is, if we're really going to know God, we need him to introduce us to himself. We need to meet Him firsthand. And God descended in the cloud and He spoke directly to Moses and He revealed Himself to Moses. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, uh, well, in chapter 1 we read about it, it says, you know, God revealed Himself through the prophets and various other ways. And then He says in verse 3, the sun is the radiance of God's glory the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. It says, after He had provided purifications for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So God has revealed Himself through Jesus to us. But long ago, up on this mountain, and as Moses is waiting to receive these two tablets that would contain ten commandments directly from God, God gave Moses a direct description of exactly who he is. And I believe that this passage of Scripture is foundational to an understanding of who God is and how the prophets thought of God. Um, let me give you an example here. As you go through the scriptures, of course, there's Exodus 34 here. Again, in Numbers chapter 14, Moses speaks of these characteristics and traits of who God is. Nehemiah in chapter 9 you, speaks from this passage as he confesses the sin of the nation. Uh, Jeremiah in Jeremiah 32 as he talks about the captivity that the people face in Babylon, he refers back to this direct passage 
in Exodus 34. David, the psalmist, in Psalm 103 and Psalm 145, refers to this foundational passage. The prophets Joel and Jonah evidently had memorized this passage of Scripture, knew it by heart, and quoted from it in their books. There are shades of this passage also in Deuteronomy 5, 1 Kings chapter 3, Lamentations chapter 3, Daniel chapter 9, and Nahum chapter, 30, uh, chapter 3. So, uh, I want to begin first here as we look at the text with his, his designation or his name. And I look at this and in verse 6. He passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord... The Lord. Now, notice this is in capital letters. So, this isn't just a common name for a deity. Uh, there was the word El that would refer to the gods of that area and of that time. But this is a specific name. God is making a specific statement to Moses. When it says here, the Lord, the Lord, it is the name Yahweh. And he says it not once, he says it twice. He wants Moses to make sure he gets it. Moses, I want you to hear this. I am Yahweh, Yahweh. Now, where did Moses hear that before? Because he had. That was the exact name he used when Moses first encountered him at the burning bush. Remember the bush that burned, but it never burned up. And he said, Moses, I am. That's Yahweh. He said, I am not the God who was. I'm not a has-been. I know I did all this stuff in the past, but I'm not merely a God who spoke. I am the God who speaks. I am the God who is present today. I am the God who knows exactly where you are right now, Moses, and I am here with you. I've been with you, but I'm with you now. You are not abandoned. I am here and I want to introduce you fully to who I am. I want to, I want to speak to you directly, Moses. That's, that's Yahweh. You see, in that day, a name had special significance. It was representative uh, of the person or the circumstances of the person. For example, uh, the name Judah meant praise. Parents would name their kid Judah, thinking, I, I want a child that, that will live a life of praise to God. And then there are those who named their child Samuel, and Samuel means God hears. Man, you know, I want my child to, to be a son or daughter that when he or she prays, the heart's right and God hears. That's, that's what I wanted. And then there are those who, because of circumstances, they named their kid. You know, Esau popped out, and he was a little furball from head to toe. and So Esau means hairy. And I mean, that rascal, I believe he probably even had hair coming out of his toenails and fingernails. He was eat up with hair. He was hairy. And, and then his brother was named Hill or heel catcher, because he was literally grasping on to the heel of Esau, his brother. <laughs> so it was circumstances they were named by. And then I think it's so sad as I think of 
Phineas the priest, his child probably had one of the saddest names. The Ark of the Covenant was removed from its holy place. The people were defeated. And so his name, uh, Phineas named his son Ichabod, which means the glory of the Lord has departed. Man, what a, what a sad name. The glory of the Lord has departed. But God had a special reason for revealing himself to Moses and saying, Moses, I am. I am with you, Moses. I am, I am the God who was and is and is to come. I, I am the God that deserves full glory. I, I am the God who has created everything. I am. And, and then he begins to describe himself and his attributes. And he speaks about his benevolent attributes. He describes himself as, as merciful or compassionate. One commentator said the, the root word, uh, it literally is a picture of a mother's womb. And the, the picture is of a mother who is taking care of a newborn infant who is totally, fully dependent on mom for care, for nurture. And, and, and so the picture is we need the mercy of God desperately in our lives because if not for His mercy, we have no hope. We're, we're that desperate. We're that helpless. In Psalm 103, verse 13, it says, As a father has compassion on his children, so Yahweh has compassion on those who fear Him. It is the picture of our God having that kind of compassion, that kind of... Um, Love toward us. You know, a parent knows that it's impossible to really communicate how much you love your child. And you know, I always hate that question. Well, which child do you love the most? Or which child do you favor the most? We have four children. And I can honestly say, I can't remember where I heard this, but I've used it a lot. Somebody asks, who do you love the most? And I always say, the one that needs me now. Because it's not a matter of, you know, I, I love this child more than this child. It's a matter of, I love each of them with all of my heart. And the one that needs me now, I want to be there for at that moment. And, and I believe that's the heart of God. As he looks at us as children and, and he sees our need, he, he wants to be involved in our lives. He, he wants to be connected. Second, it says that he was gracious. It says in our text, 13 times in the Old Testament, this word is used. And it's almost always speaking of God as the subject of a stronger person helping a weaker person. In Genesis 33, Jacob tries to explain to his brother Esau all the kids he has, all the property that's increased from God. And, and he says to his brother, because God has dealt graciously with me. In 2 Samuel chapter 2, David prays and fasts for his son who is about to die. And he says, who knows, perhaps Yahweh may be gracious to me. And, and, and so the theme is grace and mercy comes through Jesus Christ, although the law comes through Moses, it says in John 1, 17. 
grace and, and mercy. That this is God. This is a description of, of who he is. Here's a quote I want to share with you from Charles Ryrie uh, in his commentary. He said, Christianity is distinct from all other religions because it, because it is a message of grace. Jesus Christ is the supreme revelation of God's grace. Salvation is by grace. Grace governs and empowers Christian living. Without grace, Christianity is nothing. So because God is gracious, it means God treats you well, not because you're strong, not because you're deserving. He treats you well because you are not strong and you are not deserving. That's the idea of God's grace. And to understand mercy and grace, there's another word you need to understand, and it's justice. You see, justice is getting what you deserve. We try to hide from that. We try to deny that, or we try to ignore it, or we hope someone will forget it. But justice means I deserve this. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Whew, thank you, Lord. <laughs> Grace is getting something you don't deserve. Grace and mercy have nothing to do with fairness. Whereas that is exactly what justice is. You're getting what is fair. What you truly deserve. Let me use an example. Let's say that you're speeding. But you're not doing five miles over the speed limit. You're doing 20, 25, 30 miles over the speed limit. Oh, wow, race car driver. Joyce. No, <laughs> she always talks about that. So you're, you're speeding along, you know, and you're going, and oh boy, you get stopped. Here comes the highway patrolman. He comes up to you and he writes you a ticket. Why? That's justice. You deserve it. Man, it was clear. You were speeding way beyond the speed limit. That's justice. That's fairness. But let's say that he comes up to you and he says, and you were going 25 miles over the speed limit. You deserve a ticket, but this time, I'm not going to write you a ticket. That's mercy. Man, boy, I must be praying good today. Thank you, Lord. You know? But, let's say that that same officer says, I'm not going to write you a ticket. I'm going to write a ticket. I'm going to pay for the ticket. And when they give me the charge of reckless driving and take away my license, I'm going to let them put it on my record. That's grace. Now, that ain't going to happen in this lifetime. Okay, let's not push it. Let's not push it. But man, that's the gospel. Jesus went far beyond the call of duty to forgive us. It's just such a beautiful picture. All right, next on the list... We are told that he is slow to anger. The Hebrew word literally means long-nosed. And the picture is that when you begin to get mad, your face starts turning red. You kind of know this is time to leave the room when you're having an argument right at home. She's getting red. But the picture long-nosed means it takes longer for that nose to get fiery red it's a longer nose and so the idea here is that God is long-nosed or he is slow to anger he he is not quick to anger uh, 
He's very patient. It makes me think, of course, of 2 Peter 3, 9, where it tells us that God is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God describes himself that way. And isn't that, isn't that great? I'm glad God's not up there with lightning bolts, just, all right, man, one more thing. <laughs> Let him have it. That's not God. He is slow to anger. Which, which is a beautiful attribute, a beautiful trait. All right, let's look at some more of these. Um, bountiful attributes. Notice what he says, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in goodness and truth. So he abounds in goodness. We have a phrase that, that we say in the church, many churches use, God is good all the time. All the time, God is good, right? And, and, and that's how we, how we speak of God. And the word literally could be translated mercy or love or enduring love or sometimes loving kindness. And, and what it is saying is that God is loyal. He is unchanging. You can depend on God. I love that Hebrews 13, 8 where it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is consistent. He's not fickle. <laughs> you can always depend upon Him and His promises. Do you know there was a prophet in the Old Testament that actually got mad at God? Because, you got it, Robert, Jonah. He was mad at God. He said, I cannot believe you were going to do this for these Ninevites. His nose got red. His face got red. He got mad. God was patient with the Ninevites, but not this guy. He wasn't patient. It reminds me of Ecclesiastes 7 verse 9 in the New Living Translation. It says, control your temper for anger labels you a fool. And this prophet of God, Jonah, he was labeled a fool at that time. Just wipe those people out. You know, God, why didn't you take away my plant for shade? You know, as it ended, he was a whiny thing. But God is not like that, guys. He, he, is, he is loving, he is, he is merciful, he is faithful, he is patient with us, he is slow to anger. I was reading recently about Antarctica, the South Pole. Did you know that... Antarctica is the healthiest place in the world to live. There's no pollution. Think about this. There's no germs. There's no dust, so you don't have to worry about allergies. But there is one small problem. It's stinking cold. I'm talking 100 degrees below zero cold. And you, some of you might be thinking it's cold in here. Well, it's not 100 degrees below, <laughs> below zero uh, although it's the healthiest place in the world to live, there's only 4,000 people that live there. It's too stinking cold to live there, man. And, and you know what? There are some church people. They act like they live in Antarctica. They're clean. They're antiseptic. I mean, they're goody-goody. But they're so stinking cold, nobody wants to be around them. They're so unforgiving. They're always reminding me. You should be. Why weren't you at church? Or 
why did you cuss? Or why did you... No, that is not God. May we not have hearts that are so stinking cold. That's not God. Um, not only is He abounding in goodness, it says that He abounds in truth. Listen to this verse from the Good News Translation. This is a Proverbs 20, verse 6. Everyone talks about how loyal and faithful he is, but just try to find someone who really is. Well, you can count on me. Everybody says, well, you call me day or night. Okay, yeah, well. Uh-huh. <laughs> but you know what's great? God really is that way. God really is faithful. He, he really is dependable. He's truth. His word is truth. I love the verse in Luke where he says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will, will never pass away. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He doesn't just tell truth. He is truth. All right, we've got one last set of uh, attributes here. And I'm looking at 1159, so hang with me. I'll try to get this. Benevolent attributes, bountiful attributes, and these are balanced attributes. Um, look with me at verse 7. Maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generations um, look again at that phrase maintaining love to thousands think about that uh, for a moment once again it's it's this same word that was used to speak of mercy of, of compassion yes. Hebrew word um, it begs the, the question why, why is he using this word again because he is saying, he's saying to Moses, I'm abundant in loving kindness. I, I want you to know I, I keep showing you mercy. I, I keep displaying my, my loving kindness to you, my kissed love for generations. But Moses, I want you to know it is not just for you. You are not the only one who will experience my love. My mercy, my loving kindness. It will be for generations and generations. And praise be to God, that includes me and you. Amen. It's just beautiful to know. Matter of fact, it, it, you can't help but think of John 3.16. For God so loved the world. Us knuckleheads. <laughs> for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Right? That is the, the awesome love of God. It, thousands, thousands of generations, it says in some translations. And, and notice he says, it is followed by forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. I love this about God. God is the ultimate judge, but he says here, what I really love to do is forgive. Forgive wickedness. Some of you are thinking, well, preacher, if you knew what I have done... If you knew the skeletons I had in my closet, if you knew some of the stuff that could get me in trouble and blackmail me, 
he'd say, you better just get out of this church right now because God ain't going to speak with you sitting here in this church. God says, I love to forgive that. Rebellion. We all know people who are running from God. People we love, people we care about. Our K group is, is doing a thing on prodigals. and it, The book is specifically talking about um, parents and their children who are prodigals. But in our group, we understand you know, that prodigals are not just children. Prodigals, all kinds of categories of people. People who are just running from God. And, and you know, I'll never forget, I know I've told this story a lot, but when Atticus was, was really small, um, you know, he, he, he'd do something wrong. And he would start to run away from me, but then he would turn and run to me and jump in my lap. And I thought, man, that's what God wants. You know, we're in rebellion and we want to run away because God's going to spank us. He's going to zap us. And God says, just jump in my lap. That's the cross. Living in the cross, as, as Tim and Karen say. Man, that is so vital, guys, to, to be there. No wonder Jesus on the cross, as he came to the very last of, of his life, hanging there, said, Father, forgive them. But they don't know what they're doing. That wickedness, that rebellion, that sin. We don't understand the depth of that. We don't understand the price of that that was paid on the cross by the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't get any better than that. He traffics in mercy. He delights in forgiveness. But he can't... He can't ignore... No matter how much there's a part of him who may want to, or sin. Look there again in um, verse 7. It says, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. Although we have this description of the loving kindness and, and the mercy of God and the kindness of God and the patience of God, and we go on and on about how good God is. And yet he says, but I can't just leave sin unpunished. You see, there are really only two outcomes because sin must be punished. Either I will be punished for my sin or someone else will be. And of course, that's Jesus. Either Jesus will take upon himself my sin or I'm going to pay for that. I love 2 Corinthians 5.21. One of my favorite verses, it says, He who knew no sin became sin for us in Him that we might become the righteousness of God. Some people kind of spend time, a long time, looking at this section of Scripture where he says he punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. And, and man, I, I get that, you think. You know, I've got a grandfather that I never have learned the full story, but I have a feeling he wouldn't be nominated for a deacon. I'll just put it that way. And, uh, you know, I think, thought, man, you know, is some of the stuff maybe that's happened to me a result of what he did, and, you know, it was 
passed down to my dad and came down to me. And, and you know, we've had that thought, or are we suffering? And is there no way to escape what, you know, uh, those before me did that was against God? Am I suffering as a result of that? Well, it's interesting. There is a chapter, uh, Ezekiel chapter 18. Don't have time now. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But I encourage you to, when you get time, maybe this afternoon, pull out your Bible, Ezekiel chapter 18, and check out the chapter. Because the whole chapter is saying, guys, we are personally accountable for the sin that we committed. I'm not going to pay for the sin of my parents or vice versa. As a matter of fact, uh, I just want to read two verses to you from it. This is from the Good News translation. Uh, this is verses 19 and 20. But you ask, why shouldn't the son suffer because of his father's sins? The answer is that the son did what was right and good. He kept my laws and followed them carefully, and so he will certainly live. It is the one who sins who will die. A son is not to suffer because of his father's sins, nor a father because of the sins of his son. Good people will be rewarded for doing good, and evil people will suffer for evil they do. What this does mean is that God will not erase the natural consequences of sin. Um, if a guy gets drunk and he walks out in traffic and as a result by getting hit by a car, he loses his leg. When he comes to Christ, that leg's not going to grow back like a lizard. You know, That's the consequence of that sin. Or a drug addict receives Christ and years of, of doing drug may have done damage to his health. That doesn't miraculously always disappear. Because now you've come to Christ. There are consequences for our actions and for our sins. And although it's true that children and grandchildren do experience consequences secondhand because of a parent's decision, because of what has happened in the past, there are consequences. And there are patterns that happen in families and that seem to go from generation to generation. And yes, there is the potential for that pattern to continue on to the next generation. That's true. But it doesn't have to be that way. Thankful for Scott preaching last week. It sounds like, you know, the answer to this he spoke about last week. You know, where God transforms our thinking as we submit to Him. Those habits can be broken. And we can be renewed in Christ. And I love it because it says to the third and the fourth generation, these habits that accumulate that may be affecting our lives now. But look at the contrast. Third and fourth generation. Two thousands of generations. The love and the grace and the mercy of God is so much greater than the sin and the patterns that have caused us so much misery and grief. And we don't have to be held captive to those patterns. We don't have to sit in the dungeon of dreariness. <laughs> because of those patterns, we can come to Christ. We can find a new start. We can have that thinking transformed. We can become a part of a new community of those in Christ. And, and we can be changed. We can do this Christian thing together. 
and find the power of God. It's just, it's just good stuff to know that He's there for us. All right, I've got to wrap this thing up. Let's look at verse 8. Moses bowed to the ground once and worshipped. Man, I love it. You know, the next verse he says, If I found favor in your eyes, then he says, Stiff-necked people. Don't you just love that? I love the honesty of it. God, you've just shown me who you are, and then I start thinking about me. I'm one of those stiff-necked people. I don't deserve what you have just described. I don't deserve to encounter you that way. I don't deserve to relate to you that way. I don't deserve to walk with you that way. And you know what? You're right, Moses. And you know what? It's still the same today. But it's not what I think. It's not what you think. It's what God has spoken. It is the gospel of Christ that is available to us. And what did all that do? Man, it led Moses to worship. At once he fell on his face to God and he worshiped. And when you hear this description of God, you know, we have these misconceptions of who God is and, and, and how he reacts and what he thinks about us. But guys, this is straight from God himself. This is his description. This, this is how he wants to relate to you. And it is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ that can break those old patterns, that can give us new life, new starts, new hopes. He, he can take those consequences of sin, and, and yes, they may never be fully restored, but God brings new blessings. God strengthens new relationships. God gives us a new hope and allows us to see what awaits us with such a wonderful God who has done so much for us. And so, guys, it brings us a time to, re to respond to it. I thought of a kid had mentioned to me, you know, sometimes we forget about this cross back here, and there are people that we have placed upon this cross that, well, they're missing all this. And it's not that, uh, you know, look at these, they need to be in church. Say, no, man. It's without God as our lifeline. And he's really telling Moses, I am your lifeline. Man, apart from me, this nation, it, it's not going to thrive. It's going to be ugly. It's going to be destructive. And that's how it is outside of Christ. Life doesn't make sense until He mends us by the cross. So maybe you're here in person or maybe you're listening online and, and you're at a place where you have, you just, you're just broken. And maybe for the first time you've, heard what God has said about himself and how he thinks about you and how he wants to have a relationship with you and you're ready. Then come. Come to him. Whether it's to come to this altar and pray or before the church or just where you are to directly speak with God. Maybe not audibly. He can hear you whether you speak audibly or not. But don't delay. Come. Let's pray. God, um, we need to see you clearly, Lord. We all need you. That's what this is about. So I pray, God, that we would come.
that we would respond to you. You've told us who you are, Lord. May we respond to that. May this be a time of worship to our God. Draw us, Lord, in Christ's name.